Welcome back to the Stand Fast Podcast. I'm your host, Colby. And today, as you probably have already seen by the title of this episode, we'll be talking about the heresies of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So without further ado, let's go. Most people hear Seventh-day Adventist, uh, I think as Protestants, we just think of a different denomination of Christianity, you know, like those are the ones who go to church on Saturday instead of Sunday, and they, and, and the, I think the most people's um, perception of the church is that it's just another Protestant church that probably believes about as much as, uh, or about as much the same things as every other Protestant denomination, they just happen to go to church on Saturday because of something they feel convicted about in the Old Testament. It, it's not a big deal. Uh, I give to you that this is not true. I think it is a big deal. I think the Seventh-day Adventist Church is, uh, I, don't, I don't believe it's a Christian church or denomination. I believe they teach a false doctrine, a false gospel even. And I have a lot of evidence to support my findings or s- to support my statements. And that's what we're going to get into today. Um, if you're Catholic, you probably couldn't care less about this video because um, you don't care about Protestants at all. But if you are a uh, Bible-believing, God-fearing man or woman who uh, identifies as a Christian, I think it's important to understand uh, these heresies that we find in the Seventh-day Adventist Church and to understand uh, how to avoid them or what to look for, at least, um, in avoiding them. Seventh-day Adventist Church. So they have a website. I believe it's like www.adventist.org, something like that. And you can go look a lot of this up yourself. Uh, But on this website... Uh, you can go and they, they have what they say is their 28 um, like foundational beliefs or like their 28 uh, um, doctrinal, you know, statements or, you know, the 28 points of their doctrine or whatever, however you want to say, 28 statements of their beliefs. And um, in these 28 statements, they talk about a whole host of things. And um, uh, what, what I want to look at, though, is... Okay, so before, actually before I get to that point, what I want to th- talk about is, okay, so the Seventh-day Adventist Church, um, I believe that they're, they're very um, sneaky with their, 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 their uh, pres- presentation of their theology, or, or rather their doctrine, sorry. Um, I think that they're very sneaky, and I believe that um, they, they try and hide uh, their false teachings um, because a lot of the the stuff that a lot of this like media type stuff, so like uh, books and movies and uh, DVDs and that kind of stuff that that comes from Seventh Day Adventist Church uh, um, people or, or from their doctrine, a lot of that stuff just it won't say right up front, you know, on the cover or, or right up front that it's Seventh Day Adventist. A lot of times you, you have to read the fine print, um, if you will, or you, you have to wait until you start hearing um, or reading the kind of stuff that they believe, and then you can you can eventually then research the author, research the organization, and find out that they, it is Seventh-day Adventist material. Um, but a lot of the stuff, it's really hard to find, and, and I think there's a lot more of it in our world or in, in yeah in the world than uh, we as Christians or, or as then Christians probably think. You know, a lot of Christian books and um, a lot of Christian movies and DVDs and kind of stuff. I think there's a lot of it that Seventh-day Adventists that people wouldn't even know because they won't say it up front. They, they, they like to hide their teachings. They don't, they don't say up front who they are. Um, and I think this is a, one, a sign of their false teaching. In uh, Jude, uh, in the book of Jude, 
in Jude 4, verse 4, it says, For there are certain men crept in, unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, Jude talking about uh, false teaching and apostasy and kind of that kind of subject um, promises that there were, that, that, or says that there are certain men crept in, unawares, obviously talking to the Christians um, of his day, but also to, I think to all Christians, um, the book of Jude, I think, I believe is um, speaking to all Christians, but um, there in the book of Jude, we see certain men crept in underwear. So I think this is uh, one sign of their false teaching is how s sneaky they are about whether they are Seventh-day Adventists or not. They, they often don't say it up front. But if you do go to their website, Adventist.org or something like that, you can read, uh, so back to the main point, you can read these 28 points of uh, their beliefs. And if you read the first 16, uh, me personally, I found most of it pretty agreeable. Um, up front, like the very first thing you'll read on this page before they even get into any of their 28 points is that they, you know, hold to the Protestant um, conviction of Sola Scriptura, that they believe the Bible is the supreme authority in the church, that kind of stuff. So they say they believe the Bible, they believe that it is the supreme authority um, for their for their beliefs and for their teaching, um, and they, they, they ascribe to Sola Scriptura. And so a lot of really good stuff up front. And, and even though I probably didn't agree 100% with their first 16 points with a lot of them, there was a lot in there that I think most Christian churches would probably agree with, or sorry, most Protestant churches would probably agree with. And uh, I myself probably agreed with a lot of it too. But you get to verse or to points 17 and on. And right now I'm specifically going to look at the 18th point because it starts to not only uh, go off the rails a little bit, but it actually starts to contradict itself. And uh, chiefly when speaking about um, who they see as a modern prophet, Ellen uh, G. White. So the 18th point of the Adventist belief, it concerns the subject of prophecy. Uh, they believe prophecy is an ongoing spiritual gift uh, that is given to the church, given to believers. And they believe a Ellen G. White is the last or, or one of the, or at least in their church, the most prominent um, example of this in the modern church. Um, Ellen G. White lived in the, in the 19th century, I believe. So she, she's long past dead, but um, Ellen G. White is, they consider her a modern prophet. And uh, let's see if, if I can find some of the things that they say. Okay, so in one of the statements, so this is in, in this uh, 18th point. They do talk about Ellen G. White in this 18th point. They actually changed it uh, not too long ago because they used to say something like they see her writings as a continuing source of authority. They switched that because it caused too much um, controversy. Again, just trying to be a little sneaky about their beliefs. Um, but this is a statement they made about Ellen G. White and her um, writings. Uh, this, is, this is from their website. Quote, we reaffirm our conviction that her, Ellen G. White's, writings are divinely inspired, truly Christ-centered, and Bible-based. So they... Um, they are saying here that they are in quote. Sorry, they uh, are saying here that they uh, reaffirm their conviction that Ellen G. White's writings are divinely inspired. So they believe that her writings, Ellen G. White's writings, uh, were and or are divinely inspired. Means meaning they have been inspired by God. Uh, obviously, the Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration to God. So we know the Bible is inspired by God. Uh, they believe that her writings are as well. They believe it is truly Christ-centered. Uh, I, which I guess that's that's kind of a subjective. Um, opinion by that's really subjected to each individual's opinion as to what, whether they believe her writings are Christ-centered. I don't believe they are at all. I don't believe 
compared to the Bible that they are, um, but we'll get to that. And they also say that they believe her writings are Bible-based, and this is what I want to look at because quite clearly they are not Bible-based, and uh, this is w one of the many reasons why I believe Ellen G. White is a false prophet, or was a false prophet, because her writings, I do not believe, are divinely inspired. I do not believe they are Christ-centered, and uh, most importantly, I don't believe they are Bible-based, uh, but we'll get to that here in a little bit. So now, just looking at what they do put um, in the, the, the text um, when they state their 18th point concerning prophecy on their website, this is a, a, a quote from their website. One of the most prominent co-founders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Ellen G. White, demonstrated the gift of prophecy and also met the criteria of the above tests of a prophet. Her writings speak with prophetic authority and provide comfort, guidance, instruction, and correction to the church. And I also want to highlight uh, this portion here that they say, because I believe that, again, this is contradictory um, to truth. Uh, this is what they say. She also made clear that the Bible is the standard by which all teachings and experience must be tested. Her role was to point people back to the Bible, never to replace it or supersede it. I do not believe this is true. Uh, witnesses, witness accounts are people who have come out of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So uh, people who have been in the, the Adventist Church and have come out of it have said themselves that when, when it comes to matters of doctrine, Ellen G. White's word is final. When it comes to matters of judgment, Ellen G. Uh, White's words are final. They do not believe in Sola Scriptura as they say they do. Um, they, they take Ellen G. White's writings and they, they, use, they supersede Ellen G. White's writings above the Bible. Um, but just going off of what they say, let's let's compare this to the Word of God to see if this is true. They said that Ellen uh, G. White believed, or that apparently, according to them, Ellen G. White made it clear that the Bible is a standard by which all teaching and experience must be tested. And um, so, if this is true, that Ellen G. White believed this, and uh, they believe that Ellen um, G. White's writing is um, where does it say this? Uh, give me one second. Bible, but yeah, truly Bible, okay, truly Christ-centered and Bible-based. If they believe that, and if she believed that all, that the Bible is uh, the the meter or uh, the scale, if you will, to, to measure all doctrine and all writings, uh, let's see if her writings, Ellen G. White's writings, um, measure up to the Word of God, if they're in contradiction or if they are, um, uh, you know, affirming, if they, if they agree with each other, the Word of God and Ellen G. White's writings, or if they contradict each other. Ellen G. White claimed to have experienced between 100 and 200 visions. So she she was a seeing prophet, <laughs> if that's how you want to term it. Or she uh, she said that she had many visions, or she claims to have had you know hundreds of visions. And um, I'm I'm just gonna go through a few of them, but some of them are really wild. And and the eyewitness accounts of what she of the way she was with these visions, it was pretty crazy. I guess she could do a lot of superhuman feats. Um, like lifting heavy objects, doing all sorts of stuff, which, by the way, is, um, I believe, according to the Bible, a sign of demon possession. Um, if I'm not mistaken, when Jesus cast the, uh, the demons out of the man, oh, I forgot where it was. Uh, you know, he cast the demons out of the man and they went into the swine and then they, the demons caused the swine to drive into the sea. Um, that man, I believe, was said to have uh, like he had break and change, you know, he where there's accounts of him in the Bible where he did like crazy superhuman feats of strength and stuff. So, you know, not not implausible um, that Ellen G. White was possibly demon possessed. I'm not going to rule it out. I'm not going to say she was because, of course, I don't know. 
Um, but just again, the, just because she could do superhuman things while she was having these visions, um, even with eyewitness accounts, it's by no means a sign of um, her being divinely inspired in these I don't know. I think these could have just as much been demonic as they could have been divine. Um, it, actually, I'm really leaning towards the demonic side. I don't really believe at all that they were from God. Uh, but anyway, she had a bunch of these visions. In 1863, she claimed to have had a vision showing her that vegetarian food, as described in Genesis 129, was a proper food for humankind. Um, this is an interesting point. So a lot of Seventh-day Adventists, I believe today still, are either vegetarian or vegan. She was vegetarian after having this vision, or at least said she was veg people, she said, yeah, by her own account, she turned vegetarian. Uh, but she believed that vegetarian food, because of this vision she had, as described in Genesis 129, which it is true that God's original plan, or in the in the perfect world, in the garden, uh, every creature in it, every man, uh, woman, beast, every, everything was vegetarian, um, even up until the flood. But this is what I'm going to look at. After the flood, after Noah and his family come off the flood, I believe that this changed for mankind. And obviously it did because God talked about it in the law. You know, there were lots of foods that the Jews weren't allowed to eat, but there's also a lot of animals that God told the Jews they could eat. So why would God, you know, allow that if it wasn't um, the proper food for them? Uh, but anyway, Genesis, I'm just going to read Genesis 9, the first three verses of Genesis 9. Uh, and God uh, blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, this is after they got off the ark, and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. And to your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as a green herb have I given you all things. So God clearly states here in verse 3 that he was giving Noah and his family, he was giving all of them, and I believe then all their descendants, um, every animal for meat, that just as they had been eating uh, the herbs and the um, you know, plants uh, up until this point, I believe that God now says, just as I've given you all of that, you can now eat animals. Um, he does say that you're not supposed to eat, that he told Noah, don't eat animals with the blood in it, you know, so don't eat raw flesh. I believe that's probably referring to what he was referring to, but um, animals are, you can eat meat now is, is basically what he was telling Noah and his family. So this is obviously a, a very clear contradiction with Ellen G. White's um, beliefs and her writings and according to what she said was in her vision. Uh, so, again, if uh, what her she experienced in her vision or supposedly experienced in her vision is in contradiction with God's word, I would say it was not uh, a God-given vision. Um, you know, whether it was something she ate wrong or whether it was a demonic, I'm who's to say, but it is obviously not um, in agreement with the word of God. The, uh, there's a lot of other examples and uh, probably better ones too but the reason I want to use this one is because I want to show how like how kind of not necessarily trivial but kind of how um, small some of these differences in beliefs are um, between Seventh-day Adventist Church between Ellen G. White and between the Word of God um, that, but that's important to see the distinctions because even just a little bit you know a little bit creeps in a little bit creeps in to where eventually you're believing something totally different than what the bible tells us so i think this is important to understand that's why i use that um example because i thought it was a very interesting one um very kind of a weird one um but yeah just just to kind of finish up on lng white because i want to get to the biggest point i have against the seventh day adventist church but just kind of wrapping up with lng white um she had a lot of other um, weird beliefs, but one of them is that she uh, uh, believed that Jesus was not 
uh, eternally God. Uh, so you believe that Jesus was not from eternity equal with God, but at some point in time um, in eternity was promoted by God the Father to being equal with himself. And that's what she believes per, uh, um, caused Lucifer to become jealous and eventually, you know, um, get cast out of heaven and, and that whole lot. So, again, not obviously not true because, you know, if Jesus and the Father are one, which Jesus himself said, you know, I and the Father are, I and the Father are one. So if Jesus and God are one, then that means they ha he, Jesus had to be um, equal with God. Well, Jesus is God, so I don't know why there's any equal with. Jesus is God, so he had to have been God from all of eternity um, because God has been God from all of eternity. So it, it's really weird beliefs that really don't... Um, agree with the word of God with the Bible and the Bible is divinely inspired we know that we believe that we put our faith in that we don't put our faith in LNG White's writings um, and I think one thing's for sure you can't say that you uh, believe LNG White's writings um, are Bible based and then also ascribe to believe that the word of God is divinely inspired because they, they, they do not agree with each other so I think this, that's one point I wanted to get out of the way because they took they, LNG White is of great importance to the Seventh-day Adventist Church and her writings are of great importance to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And they often try and, you know, again, kind of sneak around it, do little dances around exactly what their beliefs are. But it's I think it's pretty clear if you have to do maybe a little bit of reading between the lines. But just coming from eyewitness accounts, too, that I've heard of people who have come out of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, her word is final uh, when it comes to matters of doctrine. And um, obviously... Uh, as a Bible-believing Christian, I don't believe that is the way we should go about things. I believe we should be, uh, that the Word of God should be final in matters of doctrine, that we should um, search the Scriptures for answers about truth and about uh, the way we should live and believe and even the way we should eat, you know, vegetarian food. Is it wrong to be vegetarian? No, you can be vegetarian. I think that's fine. Um, but we don't have to be vegetarian. If you're a Christian, you don't have to be vegetarian. And I think the Bible's pretty clear about it. I mean, even in the New Testament, in Acts, uh, Peter received a vision where God, you know, brought to, he was trying to, I think the point God was making with Peter was that, you know, there's no more clean or unclean animals. Um, but he, he, in that vision, all these animals came down on like a, like what, what, what like a sheet or like a, you know, something like that. All these animals came down clean and unclean. And uh, the Lord told Peter, he commanded Peter in the vision, you know, Peter, rise, you know, kill and eat. And then, of course, Peter said, I've never touched, you know, or eaten anything unclean. I recommend you read the account. Actually, I should find where that was. I believe that's Acts, Acts 9, maybe. Let me go find out. But again, just another example here in the New Testament. Um, you know, if, if you're like uh, Andy, is it? Yeah, Andy Stanley and uh, don't believe in the Old Testament or think that we should cast it out, then um, this is another another example, of a New Testament example. Yeah, okay, Acts chapter 10. So Acts chapter 10, uh, it's verses 9. Okay, Acts chapter 10, verses 9 and on. You can read that story. Um, but yeah, Peter was on a housetop, and he became hungry. And uh, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and, uh, okay, a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth wherein were all men are four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. So, and then in verse 13, and there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. So the Lord commanded Peter to kill and eat these animals. So if it wasn't right for Peter to do so, why would God himself, um, you know, command Peter to to do something that was wrong you know it, it doesn't make any sense you know god 
tempteth no doesn't tempt people to sin. God tempteth no man to sin. Um, so that that again is not in agreement with the Bible. Um, but yeah. Also, a quick point I wanted to make, last point about Ellen. She often claimed that her visions were shown to her by angels. And uh, Galatians 1.8 says, But though we are or an angel from heaven, uh, this is Paul speaking, though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be a curse. So just because angels were seen in her visions, um, even if an angel preaches a different gospel or, or something contrary to the word of God, uh, you know, we obviously know there are fallen angels. So it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't give any... Her word about her seeing angels in a vision does not give any, you know, veridity or um, validity is a better way of saying any validity to her beliefs at all. So um, mainly also because they're contrary to the word of God. Anyway, but what I want to get to to finish up here is what I believe the biggest heresy of the Seventh-day Adventist Church is that I believe they teach a works-based, a, a version of a works-based salvation. So a little bit of history. Uh, there was this man, William Miller, in uh, the 18th uh, or 18th, 19th century, and his big deal was that he was trying to, he wanted to predict the second time coming of Jesus Christ, and he believed he could, and he came up with all these different measures, and he went through the Bible and Daniel and Revelation and all these different ways that he came up where he could add up uh, exactly and find a date um, exactly when he believed the second coming of Christ would be. Um, and, uh, you know, the, again, the Bible is very clear that it's Christ, Christ coming is going to be, you know, like a, um, a thief in the night. You know, no man's going to know the time. Um, not even, you know, only God knows um, the time of Christ's return, obviously. Um, but he, he was really into this and he had a lot of followers and these followers were called Millerites. Uh, William Miller, Millerites, you know, kind of cliche, but... Uh, <laughs> William Miller, he attempted to predict the date of Christ's return, and he, he did it a few times, and he failed uh, a few times, but eventually he settled on this date, um, and this date was October 22nd, 1844, and uh, everyone, all of his followers, and him, or actually, yeah, yeah he was alive, I think, uh, he passed away real close to this time, I think, I don't, I don't remember, the main thing is that all of his followers were getting really excited, about this date and they were everyone was set on it and they were waiting and they were ready and obviously she just did not return on october 22nd 1844 and this is what is called the the great disappointment i believe is what they call it the great disappointment of the millerites and um it caused uh the you know eventually the dis i don't know how you say it though the fall of the millerites or something i don't know because there were no more millerites after this obviously because there's nothing to follow uh, but when jesus did not return on uh the William Miller's date of October 22nd, 1844, the Millerites split up, and they split up into different groups and factions, and uh, most of them either went back to their old churches, denominations, or just left the faith completely, which is very disappointing and heartbreaking, honestly, that this man led so many astray. Um, but there were a few that had different ideas. Some of them actually kind of went into a different, or uh, went into like Jehovah Witness type stuff and um, became a part of that. Uh, but there were certain of these Millerites who came up with this new idea about William Miller's predictions. So what they determined was that uh, William Miller's uh, date of October 22nd, 1844 wasn't wrong. Uh, he didn't get the date wrong. He got the um, event wrong. And so what they purposed is um, 
what Willie Miller did is is he mis he mistook what the event was going to be on this date. He thought Christ's return was coming when really what was going to happen was the beginning of what they called the investigative judgment. And what they believe happened on that day, October 22nd, 1844, is that Jesus entered the heavenly sanctuary and began this investigative judgment, which just first to point out, um, and this isn't, you know, a crazy heavy point because there's a lot of other things you could say in this same um, realm. But first of all, the, the term investigative judgment is not in the Bible. So they came up with this on their own, this entire idea on their own. This is not a biblical idea, uh, obviously, because I'm about to point out a lot of things about it. But I believe that this I, this belief in investigative judgment is um, a, a kind of works-based uh, gospel or works-based salvation. And the reason I believe this, I'm going to get to. But anyway, the investigative judgment is the idea that Jesus is currently... Um, as of, or at least as of October 22nd, 1844, in the heavenly sanctuary, investigating the lives of every believer, past and present, to see how well they are keeping God's commandments. So basically, Jesus is right now in heaven, in the heavenly sanctuary, examining the lives of every Christian, past and present, all the dead Christians and all the cur Christians currently living, and seeing how well they either lived or how well they're currently living according to God's commandments. So whether they're living right, basically. And um, these... Millerites who came up with this idea um, became Seventh-day Adventist. So this is a belief of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. In fact, uh, the 24th point of the Adventist belief is this doctrine. This is what they say in their 24th point of um, their beliefs. In 1844, at the end of the prophetic period of 2,300 days, he, being Jesus, entered the second and last phase of his atoning ministry, which was typified by the work of the high priest in the most holy place of the earthly sanctuary. It is a work of investigative judgment, which is part of the ultimate disposition of all sin, typified by the cleansing of the ancient Hebrew sanctuary on the Day of Atonement. They go on to say, It also makes manifest who among the living are abiding in Christ, keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. I look, did, you, did you catch that? It, this, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to read it again. It also makes manifest who among the living are abiding in Christ, keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. I'm actually going to finish it now. And in him, therefore, are ready for translation into his everlasting kingdom. This judgment vindicates the justice of God in saving those who believe in Jesus. It declares that those who have remained loyal to God sh shall receive the kingdom. But... I think I think a very big point and very obvious point in what they're stating here on in one of their foundational doctrinal beliefs is this belief of investigative judgment that right now what Christ is doing it is, is he's determining not only those who have faith in Jesus he's not just looking at those who have believed in him and have put their trust in him for salvation but those who are also keeping the commandments of God this is very clearly a kind a, a version of works based salvation because then it goes on to say, therefore, they are ready for translation into his everlasting kingdom. You know, the, that last sentence here, it says, it declares that those who have remained loyal to God shall receive the kingdom. Those who have remained loyal to God. None of us have remained loyal to God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, none of us have remained loyal. None of us have kept the whole law. You know, even if you keep the whole law and offend at one point, you're guilty of all. None of us have been able to do this. We've either lied, cheated, stealed, um, committed murder, whether in our heart um, committed adultery, whether in action or in heart, we've all coveted, you know, there is none of us who are righteous. No, not one, none are righteous. No, not one. 
So none of us have been loyal to God. None of us have been keeping the commandments of God, whether, you know, and I believe as Christians, we should be striving every day to do our best, um, you know, to better ourselves, to, to live by God's commandments. But we all fail and we all fall short, even as Christians. Um, so it, this is, this is a, 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 I believe, a works plus faith type of salvation. And um, I think believe the Bible is very clear that this doesn't work. Um, uh, it pretty clear that you can't have works. Uh, actually, I, I should have had that reference down. I forgot that there is the reference um, in the Bible or uh, the Bible passage that talks about um, if it's of works, it's no more faith. But if it's of faith, it's no more works. Um, so they're not, you know, they can't coexist. You can't have faith and works. It has to be one or the other. And um, but anyway, I'm going to read other passages because because the Bible is very clearly teaches um, that that works um, can't get us anywhere. Um, that is by faith alone that that we are saved. Um, okay, so this passage, Ephesians two eight through nine, uh, for by the grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we is we are his work. I'm going to actually read ten two. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So it's by grace that we are saved. It's by God's, God's infinite grace that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. It is not of works. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it is very clear here in Ephesians that it is not by, it is not by our works that we are saved. But then verse 10 is very clear also that for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So when we're saved, when we, were, when we are um, uh, renewed, given you know newness of life in Christ Jesus, that we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So there is, we are as Christians supposed to live lives um, pleasing to God. We we are supposed to lead lives pleasing to God, but we are not trusting in those works for our salvation. We're trusting in Christ. Um, our our works should be a result of our faith, not the other way around. Um, so that's very 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 clear passage. Uh, that that states that it is not by works, it is by faith alone. So they're they're trusting in faith in their works and faith for salvation, and therefore they're they're believing a different gospel because because the gospel is is you know for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel is that we believe in Christ Jesus unto salvation. Um, we do not trust in our works, and again. Um, looking back Galatians 1 8 though we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you let him be accursed if there's a different gospel than what is preached in the word of God than what is given to us in the word of God then it is a false gospel a false doctrine that we need to reject let him be accursed whoever teaches such a, a heretical um, uh, doctrine and so we need to be careful for this to watch for this and this this is very clear this is a belief that Seventh-day Adventists hold to and this is very clearly in contradiction to scripture so in conclusion i just i wanted to make this as a um as a warning to believers to watch out for these heresies because they sneak in really easy i mean these seventh-day adventist stuff it's really it sneaks in really easily and you know even i i think in my hometown or not technically my hometown but a town near us that i drive through a lot there's a sign that says something it's a seventh-day adventist um sign uh, but it talks about the the Ten Commandments or whatever, but he doesn't say anything about being Seventh-day Adventist. And, um, but the, the kind of things they say up front seem to be pretty doctrinally accurate and biblically accurate. I mean, they say things like we hold to the Bible as a supreme authority in the church. They say stuff like that. They say that they hold to the Protestant um, belief in Sola Scriptura, uh, but they obviously then don't because they 
They esteem Ellen G. White's uh, teachings as divinely inspired. They esteem it as a continuing source of authority in their church. And they believe in a different gospel. They believe in works plus faith salvation. They believe in this investigative judgment, which is not biblical. It's not mentioned in the Bible. It is not even alluded to in the Bible. It's not something that we can place. Um, you, you can fit in the Bible anywhere. If you can show me anywhere where it talks about Jesus entering into the heavenly sanctuary and then enacting this investigative judgment, I would love to hear it because I have not found yet in my studies a place where it, it even seems to elude even to the um, idea of this investigative judgment anywhere in the scriptures. Uh, I'd be very curious to hear if anyone has a defense against this. But um, uh, as, as far as I see, this is, this is a heresy. And I believe that the Seventh-day Adventist Church, though that Ellen, those who follow the Seventh-day Adventist Church, they have fallen into heresy, into apostasy. And I believe that they can be forgiven and that they can turn. They can turn from this church. And many have. Many have left the Seventh-day Adventist Church um, and, you know, have are now living lives according to the Word of God alone um, and understand that what they were previously in was false doctrine and, and was heresy. But there are still millions of people who are part of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, part of this uh, supposed Christian Protestant denomination. And I think it's important for people to understand, to be aware that what they are believing, what the, this church is believing is false. And uh, so as Christians looking from the outside in, I think we should understand that Seventh-day Adventists, that they are not just a different denomination or just kind of, the, you know, they're just the Christians that go to church on Saturday. I didn't even touch on that point, you know, the point of their belief in the Sabbath. That that could be a whole nother episode. I just wanted to look at the a lot of these um, points because I think that that's probably the most obvious point to talk about. Um, but anyway... You know, they're not just a different denomination. They, I believe that they preach a different Christ. They preach a different gospel. And um, therefore, they're not Christians, in my view, or at least if, if they're Seventh-day Adventists um, or p people in the Seventh-day Adventist church who believe things um, like a works plus faith type of salvation um, because it's by faith alone. Um, so I, I would, uh, it's, I don't wish ill upon them. I would pray for them. I pray that people would continue to leave this church and understand the heresies of it. Um, but uh, again, I think my main goal today was just, just to warn those from the outside looking in of, um, you know, this kind of false teaching creeping in and just to be aware of it and to understand that it, it isn't good, it's not biblical, that we need to reject it uh, when we see it come up. Um, so thank you for listening to this episode. And as always, until next time.